I noticed it first out of the corner of my eye, just a quick flick of movement, something in the doorway that led to the family room. I looked toward it again and realized that it wasn't something. It was the dark figure of a man, backlit by the light of the kitchen. He was solid in form, except his form seemed to be made up of moving, churning, dark gray and black smoke or mist. I looked down at the game board, certain that when I looked up again, it would be gone. I was tired, I told myself. My eyes were playing tricks on me. I kept trying to rationalize what I had just seen, but I couldn't. When I looked up again, he was still there, and to my horror, he began to move towards us. He came slowly at first, but then he picked up momentum. He moved into the family room and paused in the center of it. His form was still a churning mass of blackness. I couldn't see his face, but I could feel his eyes watching me, staring directly at me, challenging me. He stood in the center of the room for what seemed like an eternity, but was actually only a few moments. Then he melted from sight. He was gone. Ghosties, my ghoulies, and my moth people. Welcome to Noctivigant, the show about the strange, paranormal, otherworldly, and the people who write books about it. My name is Jay, and I am joined by the antagonistic duo, Rory Wicks and Nick Ferrant. I resemble that. You, you do resemble that, yeah. Resemble that? <laughs> as well as Naomi from the Morbid Forest. Hey, y'all, all the ghoulies. <laughs> <laughs> On this show, we are going to discuss, dissect, and review the best and worst in the world of paranormal and conspiracy literature. So settle in, buckle up, and prepare for a walk on the midnight roads of Noctivigant. How you doing? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm having <laughs> adequate fun. <laughs> the appropriate, just a dash of fun. That's yeah, it. Not, not many more. <laughs> not too much. I wouldn't want to offend the Quakers. <laughs> uh, welcome to the show, Naomi. <laughs> Thanks, guys. We're real excited to have you here. Uh, yeah. I'm super excited to be here. Oh, <laughs> uh, what'd you think of the book? Um, I, I have up and down moments with the book. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, that's me fair. too. I, yeah. I have like a mixed emotion about it. Okay. I, and I know we'll discuss more in detail later, but some of it was like, just get to the bloody point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me. And I was like, if he foreshadows one more thing in this one more house, one more time, I'm yeah. throwing the book. Oh, oh, oh my God. I, every, every chapter ends with a, but then it got worse. Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, and I was, it, thought just, I was losing my mind over that. <laughs> no, it was driving me insane. Yeah. 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 No. But then at the end, he like 
rushes through all these details yeah. about the house with Helen, which we'll get into. And I was like, these are important details. Why are we rushing this part? Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I had the same experience. Like I, the first third of the book, I was like, wow, this is really good. Like, this is really cool. I really like the groundwork that's being laid. And then it was like, and then it was the like kind of the same experience of it was foreshadowing the next bit over and over again. And then when we got to the end, it was just like zipping right through the, the ending of the book. And I'm just like, what the heck is going on here? Yeah. So. (laughs) (laughs) No, zero. They said he got oh, institutionalized. Yeah. yeah. But, so, no, Alex is the one we got a resolution for. What What I'm curious about is Kelly's demon-possessed friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we, 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 we saw them, like, a few times. Like, I'm sorry. Like, shouldn't have we been a little concerned that her friends were also being controlled by demons? No one, no one batted an eye at that. Right. <laughs> no, no. Just taking that shit over their parents. Yeah. Just take that shit in stride, apparently. Yeah. You know, they're only assisting in a murder attempt and hissing at people as they walk up the drive. It's completely normal teenager behavior. Yeah. So, and they're probably vaping. That's the problem. Oh, is that it? Um, is that why I'm demon possessed? So, so fun fact, I first heard about this case from the Discovery show A Haunting, which is oh god, it's it's the oh, reheated no. Taco Bell of Paranormal But is it as bad as man with a van? You shut oh. up. You shut up about man with a van. But uh, so, no, a haunting is not as as bad as a man with a van, I guess. No. Um, But a haunting is, again, the reheated Taco Bell of paranormal investigations. And um, so so additional fun fact, um, Helen's whole attempted murder spree just doesn't make it into that episode at all. It's not mentioned. No. The reason that they said Helen moved out of the house and went to a psychiatric hospital was because she was threatened to hurt herself or just they, the haunting producers were like let's just not let's just not say she tried to kill her husband oh, okay. and then we never got any resolution with the husband either like after he ran back to work we never saw him again yeah. no like, he just kind of stopped coming up yeah he just, yeah. He just took just... he just took his daughter the antichrist and they just yeah. <laughs> Like, oh, I, oh like, my god! Oh, and also the fact that Kelly is a monster just doesn't hey. make it into the episode at all. Hey, there, no. there, there's a good premise for an episode if you're ever at you know scratching the bottom of the barrel. What the hell happened to the demon children? You can tell us. Oh my god, I could totally, I can totally see that happening. I also see it as kind of like the startings of like Children of the Corn. Like this is how they occur. Like, that's right here. <laughs> oh god, that's, yeah. I didn't think about something like that. Like what, what did happen to Kelly and all of her demon possessed friends? Well, like, did they become children? of the corn oh they did (laughs) there's no corn in missouri they're gonna have to walk so far (laughs) so that seems like a good segue uh naomi if you uh, like tell us a little bit about your show yeah um so we are the morbid forest um it's run by myself and my co-host sean who unfortunately couldn't be here today um and so we are writing anthology horror so every episode is a little bit different and ranger harper will be there to kind of guide you through each level and get you on the right way of where you're supposed to go with this story (laughs) very cool so out of curiosity i guess what was the uh impetus for this podcast where how'd you guys get the idea 
Uh, it was all Sean. It was all him. Like I, I've, or, I'm already like a writer and I already write a lot of horror. That's kind of like my shtick, my bag. That's, that's all the things he's been wanting to start something for years. And we've been friends for a while. And he just kind of like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to use one of your stories on the show? I'm starting <laughs> very <laughs> casual one day. I'm like, sure. And then next thing goes, do you maybe want to voice one? <laughs> like, sure. And then he was like, do you want to be a co-founder? <laughs> <laughs> deeper deeper down the rabbit hole with him <laughs> that, that's that's kind of similar how uh how noctivian started i wanted to do a podcast i had done a solo podcast before and then i got these two on board when we when we finally settled on a topic i think i had prodded them enough that nick came up with this idea to do a paranormal book club and now here we are that's freaking awesome. I love that it's specific to paranormal too, because there's so much out there oh, in yeah. this war realm. So <laughs> And it's a bit of a it's a bit of a passion for all three of us in in our own in our own different ways, which is one of the things that I think makes it so cool. You know, as we while we do have similar views, we still have competing views as well. So yeah. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> all right. So are we ready to crack into the uninvited? Uh, I am. Well, that's good. Yeah, I mean, you're the one who has to be ready. <laughs> like, I, 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 I could be over here, I don't know, snorting coke, and I'd be fine, probably. Yeah. Probably not. No, I, Pro I destroy not. some equipment. Yeah, don't uh, fucking please. don't don't snort coke on the freaking podcast. And my please man. don't destroy yeah, yeah. the equipment. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till you're out of the house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go snort cocaine in the park. That sounds normal. Do it. No, I'm snort. not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna snort, snort cocaine. Just yeah. Just, just, go, just go with the cocaine. Go, go with Kelly and her friends in the corn. Just yeah, go. yeah. No, no. I know better. I know better. I wouldn't have even approached those kids. <laughs> yeah, because they're gonna eat you. Something's yeah. deeply wrong oh, with just them. Toss a holy oil Molotov cocktail at the house and walk away. Seriously, no one. Yes. No one's doing anything about this house. They're just letting it sit there. Yeah, oh my yeah. god. Under the care of Mr. Winters. Who's totally in on it. I, I, oh, a thousand percent. I'm sure we'll get to this later, but I'm going to put this out there right now. Uh, I don't think Mr. Winters exists. Like, well, you know what? I'm just going to let that sit and we'll get into that. Hopefully. Yeah, I'm sure we will. There, there will, there, there will be a chance at the end of the discussion for everyone to air their grievances about what, let's call them narrative inconsistencies. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Stephen Lachance is having a tough time. His beloved sister dies unexpectedly, leaving him reeling and angry. Once a devout Christian, Stephen turns his back on God in favor of anger. Two years later, still wounded from the loss, he comes home to some jarring news. His wife is leaving him and abandoning their children. On top of that, she's about to render the family homeless. She hasn't paid the rent in over six months. Facing eviction, Stephen and his three children, Lydia, Michael, and Matthew, have only a few possessions left to their names as they squish together in a tiny apartment. The family stews in the trauma for for a while as Stephen learns how to be a single parent. Stephen's children are coping as best they can, but their mother's cruel departure has left scars. Stephen isn't doing much better. The wounds of his sister's death seem to have been reopened. Any belief in a loving God has long since been left behind. 
But finally, a ray of hope, a big, beautiful house for rent at only $600 a month. The landlord, Mr. Winters, seems a bit odd, seeming to avoid the house except in the brightest parts of the day, and asking Stephen if he's sure he's up for the responsibility of living in an old house. But it's worth it to give his children a better place to live. But then the house's true nature begins to reveal itself. For one thing, all their neighbors cross the street to avoid walking in front of it. For another, the backyard shed contains the abandoned property of multiple previous occupants. And once inside the house, the family and their visitors begin experiencing strange electric shocks that come from nowhere. Stephen's daughter, Lydia, refuses to sleep in her room the first night. Her closet door just won't stay shut. Matthew ventures into the basement, only to be chased out by a frightening and seemingly hostile presence. Soon after, while trying to go to the bathroom late at night, he is chased by an apparition of a clown through the house's dark hallways. Stephen sees a strange man in a red shirt watching the family from another room who vanishes in between blinks, and something unseen keeps knocking over piles of moving boxes at all hours of the day. Temperatures fluctuate randomly. The lights turn themselves on as soon as the family leaves for the day, and not a single door wants to cooperate. They open and slam whenever they please. Stephen is unnerved and tries to ignore it, until the opening passage that I read for us occurs. Terrified of something he doesn't understand, Stephen flees with his children in the middle of the night. Their departure does not go unnoticed. Instead, the house begins to scream. Loud and agonized, rousing the neighborhood mutts. As the family drives away, Stephen's dark apparition watches from one window. I mean, yeah, but in this economy, $600 is really good. Seriously, oh. I would die for a house you for $600 literally would a make month. it work. Like, you just like, spirits, you stay in one room, we stay in this room. We're going, we're going to do although, this. Although, <laughs> although, Rory, I think you actually would die. Yeah, no, I think I actually yeah, might die. I mean, yeah. Here's the thing is, I know you're stubborn enough. You're just going to sit there till it kills you. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I, I, look, look, it, here's the thing. If it kills me in that house, I still have a place to live because I'll be haunting that house forever. Well, yeah, also, I want, yes. Yeah, also, now you're a ghost. You can get him. I know. I will. I will. It's like fucking Captain Cromwell is going to kill me and I'm going to immediately rise up in the netherworld and then be like, hey, bitch, and I'm going to kick his ass. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. (laughs) All right. So, uh, I have I have a discussion question here if anyone oh, wants to hear it. Oh, what okay. Good, what good time? I didn't even know that this was the stopping point for a discussion question. Yes. Like that. <laughs> yes. I knew. I didn't know. I was going to say we didn't I don't think we got them ahead of time. So no, we did not. This no, time. you yeah. didn't because I like to keep you on your toes. I am on my yes. toes. They're breaking. <laughs> What? Get off your toes, <laughs> then. What are you doing? <laughs> um, so, question one. We have here yet another haunting that is heralded by utterly mundane traumas. And some of this stuff seems pretty typical for a haunted house. Uh, slamming doors, nightmares, persistent feelings of anxiety. What's not typical, in my opinion, is the electrical shocks, the disembodied screaming, and the full-on apparition of the clown, specifically. (laughs) Um, What do we think of those elements? Have you guys heard of similar things in other hauntings, or is this pushing at the boundaries of belief? (laughs) 
I don't know. I mean, like the light turning on and off is like, that's like a normal thing. So that's in a checkbox. The electrical feeling, that's kind of a weird thing, especially if you don't consider yourself as like a sensitive, which is what he keeps saying about people over and over again, that who like are kind of on the psychic realm. So I think that one's a little weird, you know, like, why is you, why would you walk into a house and have an electrical feeling? I like, unless your floor is lava. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Right. It's like, cause it's not like when they're leaning against light switches or like if, fiddling with the out with the outlets or something they'll just they just walk in through the front door and they suddenly feel like they're getting zapped right i mean i think ultimately um yeah i I, the electrical shock kind of is kind of strange from like i haven't heard of that in terms of like other hauntings um the house screaming like the house itself i i guess no but screams coming from houses and around the area i feel like that's pretty common amongst some haunted uh like haunted houses haunted areas whatever i don't know i think there's a lot of um, strange things that 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 happened uh that kind of i like you said pushed the boundaries of belief in terms of the haunting like there was a lot of very over the top like uh apparitions that happened beyond just the clown like the baby the upside down baby in the tree uh we're gonna be getting into that when we move into the section with the marches yeah yeah yeah. there there like there's all sorts of uh all sorts of like over the top um like i said apparitions or, or or whatever you want to call it it's just um i don't know like i i think yeah i don't know I, 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 as much as I'd like to say, I have a lot of experience with hauntings. I, I don't, I have, um, very little, but I want to get more. <laughs> you're you're gonna you're See, gonna this take is you me. invoking the hauntings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. matter that's like the beginning of the slide into serial killer. You're gonna just start making ghosts. <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> I, I don't, don't want to like. I as much as I know Jay loves true crime. I don't want to become part of that obsession in that way yeah i would feel obligated to call the police yeah i feel like that and you'd also feel obligated to write a book on me i would and people would be like hey you're writing a book about your spouse who was a serial killer you cash grabbing vulture maniac and i'd be like yes that's in my twitter bio (laughs) who else else is gonna do it right Um, exactly first-hand experience so Back to the question, I think for me, um, those were the elements I definitely struggled with the most because they are so different from every other haunting I've read. But you know what they're not different from? And again, this is where I, I struggle with this book is because they're not they're not different than horror movie hauntings, than uh, horror novel hauntings. It's a very sensationalized, fictionalized. It feels very fictionalized. It feels like yeah. uh, he took... What was a, you know, again, think like uh, back to Demon of Brownsville Road, uh, which we did on a previous episode. We talked about then how impressed we were with how subtle the haunting was, mm-hmm. how it it felt very real and natural because uh, it didn't go over the top. And similarly with uh, Haunting of Alma Fielding, even yeah. though that yeah. might not have been a ghost. The uh, But this one, it, it definitely felt like I had jumped into like a Goosebumps novel at times. Yeah. And, and yeah. that... It made me worried about the authenticity of everything I was reading because largely I can ex- I can accept that some of this happened. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I have trouble accepting that all of it happened exactly as was written. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I would say, but then again, I put the big caveat on it of I wasn't there. You know, I, I this is ultimately just some dude's opinion who read the book, but I would, I'm, I'm still dubious. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I definitely had moments throughout the, throughout reading the book. I even like, I would stop after reading something and then I would pull cause I was reading it on my phone. Uh, on my Kindle app and I would, I would stop and then go pull up Google and be like, mm, I don't know about all this and like start re- looking <laughs> stuff up to compare it to just because I was like this, like, uh, well, I, where you said we're going to talk about that. So I guess I won't go to go into that, but there is a, um, like with the clown, for example, like a full on apparition of a clown, like that's just like, come on. You, you know, like that's fu- that, like, is, I, that's I so would specific. Love, right, and I would love to see that. <laughs> you, you, you know, I gotta say, of all the wild shit that happened, um, the clown is the one I could probably come closest to being like, yeah, maybe. And like, the re- and the reason is not because I think there's a clown ghost. The reason is it's totally feasible to me that if there was a demonic infestation of the home, it would take on forms to terrify the individuals it was going after. Right, and the one lady yeah. there was afraid of clowns. Yeah, so the, mm-hmm. the only two people who ever saw the clown were the kid who was scared of clowns and the lady who was scared of clowns. Right. And Matthew. But did they yeah, ever say that he was afraid oh, yeah. of clowns, though? Actually, I don't think they did. Not Matthew yeah. specifically, but no, kids and yeah. clowns are usually like it's either Head one of the you know it's either one one extreme or the other it seems like you either love them or you hate them well, you if know? he didn't love if he didn't hate them before i sure he does now yeah yeah and like the clown was was definitely one of the things that gave me pause just because yes i've heard of demons shape-shifting and even ghosts shape-shifting but i've never heard of something taking on something that specific that didn't have some kind of tangible emotional connection to the person most of the shape-shifting i've heard about is demonic entities coming back pretending to be dead people that's Mm -hmm. the thing i've heard and the other thing that honestly really made me go like the other thing that would stun me if it was true exactly the way he said it happened is i have heard of phantom screamings in hauntings Mm -hmm. i've not heard of phantom screamings that can be heard outside the house loudly enough that dogs on the street begin howling and whining because they're scared. Yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. I've heard screaming, but never to that volume. I guess the uh, one implication you could take from that is just how powerful this demon might have been. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the other side I'd I'd say to that is, I mean, throughout the book, they had several psychics go into the home Mm -hmm. um, and many of them commented on a vortex in the basement, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which was explained as a sort of thin spot uh, in the veil between this world and the others. Uh, and maybe, you know, maybe the demon was powerful because it was, it was sitting on that, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, it, you know, I don't know the economy of the spirit world. Maybe it's like a trade route. He gets a lot of power from people using it. Well, and it could be like the thin, like a thin spot. And it's not even just one entity that's coming through. It's a multitude of different entities that are coming through because it's a thin spot. So they can just pop over, scare the shit out of somebody and then pop back. Yeah. So there's maybe it, maybe it is just an endless barrage popping in to do quick scares and then they go back, you know, clock out for the day, go home, argue with their wife. Yeah, they got their scare quota in. Yeah. 
Oh, I mean, funny. here's the thing. If the screams are audible from outside the house, I guess that explains why the neighbors don't want to walk in front of it. They're like, yeah, that's the house that yells at us at night. I, I wouldn't walk in front of it. If a house screamed at me once, I'm never walking on that street again. <laughs> you know, I actually, that you, now that you bring that up, that's actually one of the things that I thought that I found the most suspicious because all the people in that neighborhood avoid that house yeah. right according to the book like that's how what he was saying but mr winters is denying any any kind of hauntings and it's not brought up in any other way that any of the other neighbors said anything about the union house being haunted yeah and I, yeah like you, you would think that he would do some type of interview or something right. with the neighbors or like there's oh there every block has a nosy neighbor yeah and, and that comes up to you it's like you don't you shouldn't live here anymore like every every ha- like neighborhood has that so i'm always wondering like why someone in the neighborhood didn't be like you, you need to move out it's not good for your kids to live here someone else should have been telling him that right yeah like why yeah. was he the only one warning these people why did uh, like people lived in that house before there, no. yep. there actually was a house on my block when I was a kid that nobody lived in for more than six months. And sometimes it would just stand empty for like a year to 18 months at a time. And we'd see people moving in. And then within six months, we'd see them moving back out. And it was definitely a thing the entire neighborhood talked about. Nobody really thought it was haunted. Um, we weren't sure what was going on with it. My mom's theory was that that they might have gotten one of the shittier basements in our subdivision. And she's like, it's probably flooding pretty routinely in the rainstorms. But like, yeah, when it got to a point where when we saw new people moving in there, it would be like, okay, who's, who's going to go talk to them and tell them that the house is messed up. Uh-huh. Like it, it's just like, we know it's not going to make a difference because they bought the house and they're moving in, but still we should probably go warn them. Like, Hey, your house is like all messed up. All right. Stephen and his children do not want to go back to the house, but like many people in bad situations, they have nowhere to go. The landlord denies that the house is haunted, but Stephen senses that he's lying. After reluctantly returning to the house, Stephen begins having nightmares. Nightmares about a man covered in blood trying to scrub himself clean in the basement's ancient butcher shower. The entire family is on edge, waiting for the other shoe to drop, but they don't have to wait long. One evening, while Stephen was on the phone with his mother, the doors began slamming and rattling again. Without further warning, Stephen's three children are imprisoned in one of the house's bedrooms, both doors banging shut and becoming stuck fast. Stephen rushes to open it as the house fills with screams and the stench of rot. Stephen throws himself at the doors repeatedly as the house grows louder around him. In a fit of strength and prayer, he pulls his children free and once again the family bolts from the house. As they run towards their car, they... they As they run towards their car, they hear the sounds of an unseen creature pursuing them. When Stephen looks back from the car, he sees that dark, smoky apparition moving from window to window, searching for them. The family returns only once more to collect their belongings. David and his brother are then pursued by ominous shadows that leap from trees and hound them to the car. Afraid for their lives, the family breaks their lease. Stephen watches helplessly as another unsuspecting family moves in. And that brings us to question two. 
Woo. Here we have another deviation from the norm. The spirits or entities seem very displeased to see the Lachances go and try to stop them. After leaving the house, Stephen has ominous, possibly clairvoyant nightmares, indicating these creatures may have followed him. This, in my experience, is not typical. To you three, does this behavior speak to the entity's intentions and does it possibly provide us clues as to what they actually are? Um, so my thoughts on that, uh, cause I did notice the, 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 I don't know, uh, yeah, the, the, the bizarre behavior of the phenomenon, if that makes sense. It didn't seem to have one set clear agenda that did mm. lead me to assume there was multiple entities. Um, now of the psychics they brought in the the first one, Betty, I, I liked her the most. Uh, so mm-hmm. basically her and her assistant showed up and when they went upstairs, uh, Betty was straight lifted off the ground by something. Yeah, um, slammed into the yeah, wall. Yeah, slammed into the wall. Yeah, slammed into the wall. And she basically politely dis- uh, told Steve to go downstairs while she uh, took care of business. And I think if I was going to trust any of the psychics in this book, uh, I think I, I liked, I trusted her because, I mean, her explanation was the least fanciful. It's, there is a ghost up here. It doesn't want people in the house. There is a vortex in the basement. Anything and everything can come through. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me that that what the thing trying to get them out was Cromwell was the old uh, slave he, owner. Yeah. He was a slave owner who owned the land. Um, and actually where the union house stands is where the slave quarters was, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So my, I think Cromwell was the one who was trying to get them out. I think the demons were the ones trying to get them in. Okay. If they, if they were demons. But yeah. I, I, I think there was at least one demon here. Uh, it, all right. Putting my believer cap on. If everything oh, yeah. in this book <laughs> happened just exactly the way Stephen Lachance wrote it. Yeah. Oh, there's demons involved. Um, could, do I think it's possible there was a demonic infestation here? Sure. I mean, again, I've never encountered a demonic infestation. I wasn't there before. I, w- I wasn't there when it happened. So I, it's not my place to say it didn't happen. Um, but that said, I have had trouble finding a lot of people who did say it happened other than Stephen. Uh, and whoever else appeared in that haunting episode, actually. Uh, but no, so, <laughs> sorry. Um, what was the question again? Uh <laughs> This atypical behavior, does it speak to the oh. entity's motivations and give us clues as to what they are? Yeah, I, I, I like I said, I think that there were competing agendas at play here. Um, if everything happened the way it's described in the book, there's no other way to look at it, especially because we have what apparently looks like an alliance between two entities because the hooded figure and the weird spectral wolf that uh, mm-hmm. le- that they start seeing later in the book, they seem to very clearly be working together and communicating. Um which, again, that was another thing that I've never seen in a haunting before, where it seems like there is secret plotting happening around you uh, that m- the multiple entities are conspiring on. And that, that just seemed to, that struck me as a little weird. And that's fair. That is weird. Yeah. Naomi, what do you think? Um, I I'm conflicted as well. I mean, it obviously. Mr. Lachance and his kids, they went through a traumatic event, right? The mother leaving and like the sister dying and they, they go into this house and these entities obviously don't want them there and they want to torment them. And so they finally do leave, but he feels like they're following him through his dreams, through these dreams that he has after leaving the house. Are these dreams actually caused by those entities or that the lasting trauma that he has been experiencing finally resonating through him? Cause he's never He's never dealt with any of this. He doesn't deal with his trauma until the very end of the book. 
True. And so to me, I'm like, this just seems like another way for your subconscious self is like screaming at you, telling you there are things that are wrong that we need to work out. Right. (laughs) But instead he's going, the house is chasing me. (laughs) When technically every time they left the house, the house was kind of like, okay, bye. See you later. (laughs) Like we're going to watch you leave. Make sure you're gone. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good point. Like it seems like the house itself was fine once they fucked off into the wind. Yeah. I wonder though, if, because he had no experience prior to being in the union, well, I guess no big experiences prior to the union house. Um, when, in terms of like the paranormal or anything or anything like that, I wonder if his interactions with, The entities, because I agree there is likely multiple entities. In fact, we know that there was at least the two, right? With the wolf and the the likely demon. I think that there was more than that. And I think a big part of why I think there was more than that was if you look at the number of psychics that came in and weren't able to get a good a good read on the number of people that are the number of entities that were there. Like, sure, we can write off some of that as like hoaxes and whatever, but Taking it as it is, there's at least 20 different entities there, according to like that those numbers, right? But let's just call it two for simplicity for right now. What if his interactions with these two entities opened up his, uh, almost forced opened up his mind to something that he wasn't prepared for? So because he wasn't prepared, he wasn't uh, taking actions to uh, to heal his, to heal himself, like for him, because him being a, uh, like a, an ex and then becoming a Christian again, he's not praying. He's not confessing. He's not taking the actions to, uh, to heal his spiritual self. So every time he's, uh, he's opened to that, it comes to him in nightmares. Yeah, I could see it. Okay. That's fair. Just a thought. Like food for thought, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I could also see the trauma interpretation. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm d- and like which, there, there's and, and it could be a combination of all of the above. Which is know? another parallel True, we yeah. could tra- another parallel we could easily draw to the demon of Brownsville Road in that uh the character in that book also didn't handle his trauma at all. Now, arguably, Steve handled it a lot better than Bob. Yeah, no, Bob Kramer just ignored <laughs> it until he died. I mean, he's not dead. He, so. he ignored it till he won. He yeah. didn't ignore it. He, he screamed at it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, you know, he, he just didn't care that his family was dying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Steve, and that's one thing I will say is I appreciate the hell out of Steve because the, the moment, the moment this got, when this went too far, he was gone. He, he put his kids in the True. car and they were, they were out of there. He didn't try to stay to fight. He didn't try to stay to dick around with it. He yeah. was gone. No, he was, he's a much better father than Bob Cranmer. <laughs> I don't know how accurate this is, but I saw part of an interview with uh, Nick on YouTube where they were talking to Stephen Lachance and someone asked him about how many days total did you and your family spend actually living in the Union Screaming House? And he said about 13. Wow. Yeah. Wow. They they rented it for three months, but they stayed in it 13 nights. Wow. Yep. Wow. That's, that's pretty quick. I mean, that's good on him, you know, and on top of that later on in the book, he does say like, you know, the kids kind of ask him questions about Mm -hmm. the house, but for the most part, he really does separate them from the house. Which was, which was good, good on him because if he had continued to like build on the trauma for like telling him all the horrible things that were happening at the house, 
I don't think that would have done his kids any favors. Um, no. Especially Matthew, who mm. seemed to definitely be the focus of the harassment that the family yeah. was witnessing because he was the one chased by the clown apparition and also... Uh, he was the only one the basement monster ever bothered. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe they wanted to put David in the tree. Oof. Uh, yeah, they might. Yeah, they made it. They might have. Gross. <laughs> um. Da, da, da. I, yeah. I, I, the thing with the shadows leaping out of the trees and chasing him and his brother when they went back to the house for the last time, that was one of the things that freaked me out the most personally in in the story of like it. it at night, the, the move moving from the front door to the car terrifies me. Uh, I don't like it at all. I feel like I'm going to die every single time I do it. And um, so the idea of like, no, we've packed up the demon house. We're leaving. And then it's like, no, it's in the front yard. It's going to get you here, too. That's just like my worst nightmare. I don't like it at all. Yeah, that's that's another interesting thing, because I haven't really heard of much of a house haunting that leaves the house yeah right. well i mean that, i think yeah. that, that was reinforced with the whole maybe the whole land is haunted right right um, yeah although i gotta say like later because you know they said something chased them right yeah. and then later on was the description of the they saw the apparition of a baby hanging in that tree yeah so from that moment on i was totally imagining what was chasing them was like messed up babies skittering on all fours <laughs> after Whoa. them yeah, oh, that's Nick, horrifying. Yeah, Nick put that image in my head at about 1130 at night one evening. And, <laughs> and then, then he I promptly s- went to bed. Yes. And then he said, well, good night, Jay. And then he just walked out of the out of the living room and I'm just sitting there. And the only light on in the entire house is the one right next to me. And I went, well, I live on this couch until morning. Oh, my God. At least like you're not me. Like all I get from that image right now is like the the baby toy from from a toy story from Sid's oh, room yeah. <laughs> yeah. just screaming and coming yeah. at you just imagine oh. that chasing you but not all the metal bits are flesh no thank you no thank you I'm out <laughs> <laughs> Sound, sounds like uh, sounds like a plot for a book or something yeah, well, can, maybe can someday we, can we please pay someone a very small amount of money to go burn this house to the ground? I don't want it to exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. Is the is it still standing? Yes. Yes. Jesus. Are people still renting it out too? Yes. Or, I, I, oh my god. I, to be clear, I haven't had a ch- I haven't really found evidence of recent habitation, but as recently as 2012 it was being rented. And they the the book essentially ends what around 2007, right? Yeah. Yeah, ish, yeah. So who knows? All right. I am super curious now. Are you looking it up? <laughs> uh, well, you, you can keep going, but yes, I'm going to look up. Its address is online. You can search Union Screaming House address. Yeah, I know. I'm All gonna right. I'm gonna log in and look at the actual public records and see who the owner is. As Stephen Lachance spends the next three years battling severe depression and disturbed sleep, a new family enters the Union Screaming House. Charlie, Helen, and Kelly March quickly encounter the same phenomenon as the Lachances. In addition to putrid smells, temperature spikes, and what we can assume are the screams of the damned, Kelly and Helen soon fall victim to other perils. Anger, suicidal ideation, paranoia, and debilitating depression begin consuming their lives. Both are beset 
with terrifying visions. Helen is menaced by a dark figure in a hooded robe and a spectral wolf, while Kelly sees a dead baby hanging from the big tree in the front yard. A family pet is killed and a young relative is pushed while on the stairs. And something keeps lighting their gutters on fire. (laughs) What a dick. Like of all the things they're doing, that's the one that was I was like, oh you asshole. That that demon's just being a dick. Also, their transformer in front of their house would blow up every three months like clockwork. Admittedly, it's something I would do if I was haunting the house. Just set the gutters on fire and blow up the transformer. Here's the thing, here's the shitty thing. If setting the gutters on fire, one, it doesn't make sense, so it's annoying. Like how do you setting a bunch of wet leaves on fire? And second of all, it's annoying to put out. You have to get on the roof or you have to try to stand there in the yard trying to spray your hose and if your your little head is missing you have to try to do it with the open head and hose you're using your thumb to pinch it off and make a blast it's awful and honestly they should have just let it burn down if the leaves are going up just let it burn Actually, that's, a good, that's a good point maybe the entity was doing them a favor right maybe like, it was- look i'm showing you what you should do there's Get one good ghost there's yeah. one good entity in the house trying to burn it <laughs> just one house just being like one entity in the house just being like we will be free charles yes. the friendly arsonist <laughs> it's the baby Oh, no. <laughs> just, oh ghost baby toddling along the roof with a book of matches in its hand <laughs> cromwell's down there yelling damn it jeremy <laughs> All right. Meanwhile, Stephen Lachance has had enough of his flashbacks and ongoing terror. Hoping to shake the house's hold on him by confronting it, Stephen reaches out to the new owners. Sensing a lifeline, Helen allows him to get involved, and a new stage of the case begins. From then on, the house is filled with a rotating cast of paranormal researchers, including Stephen's own team. A psychic named Betty claims she discovers the spirit of an old man who wants the house to himself and says the basement has a spiritual vortex in it. This vortex is pulling some things in and letting other things out. And that's about as helpful as most of them get. Many come and go with no particular impact. Taking pictures, recording EVPs, arguing about where to eat, trashing the place like a campsite, and accusing Kelly of witchcraft. Every every group claims about half a dozen completely contradictory ghosts plaguing the house. Some of them have experiences. One investigator is hurled against a wall, for example. But they have no advice and sometimes seem to agitate the entities further. At the end of his rope, Stephen goes recruiting and forms his own team to investigate. Uh, and moving on to question three, let's talk about poking the bear, so to speak. <laughs> In the case of ongoing hauntings, in buildings where people presently live and are being terrorized, what role do you think investigators play in addressing the problem? Should people in the March's position even bother with them, or should they go straight to trying to cleanse the property? I mean, I think that's a very situational question. Mm-hmm. One, one thing I would mm-hmm. say, I mean, I think this is a, a, one of those examples where a lot where I mean, maybe they were too open. As I said, Helen would let anyone in to come investigate. Yeah. And the truth yeah. of the matter is, especially and this is becoming more true with every year it, with the proliferation of social media, is there are more and more teams out there that might just be some kids with the TikTok, and, and that's right. not the, you know that's not to disparage their investigations i'm sure they many of them take it very seriously and to be fair the tiktok uh, paranormal community is way better than the twitter one i mean it's not hard (laughs) Uh, but that said um it 
so I, I I think that I think that in this situation it was more of a combination of the wrong people coming in there, and also it did reveal one of my complaints about the paranormal community at large being that a lot of people again want to be that guy or that team that solves it or finds the definitive proof, so they don't want to work with anyone else and they tend to become very jealous and they hoard their evidence, and because of that you'll have situations like this where this team comes in says they got a bunch of evidence never shows it to the homeowner and then vanishes into the wind um and i and i i mean it's disappointing that that happens i will say i think there are paranormal investigators out there who want to do good who are trying to help and so i think there is probably some value to it especially because as we've mentioned on the show I mean, it may not be the case here. If again, if all of this is true, I think you just need to blow up the house. But um, if you know, there may be hauntings that can be resolved without an exorcism or a blessing. And maybe, hey, if you just stop fucking with that chair, they're going to leave you alone or something like that, which is something that paranormal investigators might be able to figure out. I think, uh, yeah, I agree that it's situational, like what steps that you want to take. But I think no matter what your faith is and no matter what is there cleansing should always be done if it's uh, yes. like a, a kind of haunting uh you know it, especially if people are getting hurt if you're putting negative energy back into the house um because of your fear reaction a cleansing is always going to do it's always going to be beneficial but i agree with what what you were what you were saying about like paranormal investigators in general i think one of the biggest things that they did wrong here was and it's not any fault of theirs by the way that Stephen Lachance wrote the book. But the paranormal investigators that were coming in weren't interested in helping resolve the haunting. They were just interested in the haunting. They wanted evidence. They didn't want a solution. Now, had it been more modern or I guess uh, even within the last six years, then maybe there was a chance that he could have gotten like Amy Bruni and Adam Berry from... uh, from kindred spirits in there because this is literally (laughs) what they do. They go into houses to figure out who it is or what it is that is haunting that location and then try to help bridge the gap between the spirits and the people who still live in the house, which is, I think, what they would have needed is somebody to help bridge that gap between whatever's happening in the house by the spirit entities and them because... Uh, I think one of the I, I think we've talked about it here and I, I, you know, I know I've talked about it outside of this, but how confusing must it be for a ghost or a spirit that is on the other side and knows nothing about what's going on to them? So when you react to them with fear and anger and not saying that this demon thing didn't deserve it because there are definite signs that it did. But how much more happened before that that we didn't see that led it to become this angry, this negative, this, and then you're reinforcing that by just trying to fight and escape and not, there's no positive energy coming back into the house. You know? yeah. Well, and if you yeah. take, if you take the John Keel approach to it, as we often do on the show, mm-hmm. um, then the house become haunted houses are basically mirrors. They reflect back everything that you put into them. And the phenomenon is simply uh, playing to your expectations. Right. So if you expect a violent haunting, you'll get a violent yeah, haunting uh, because, yeah. you know, the, the trickster phenomenon takes the form that it knows you expect. Right. And that, that even like this book actually feeds into Keel's view even more so because of the idea of the demon shape shifting to become fears that people are projecting on the house. 
Yeah. Well, um, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Ooh. <laughs> um, so I, I know that they had a lot of like people come in and like try and help and everything, but technically Mr. Lachance already had help offered to him. Like Nick said earlier, there was Betty. We love Betty. I loved Betty. At yeah. first I didn't know if she was a crackpot. And then I was like, no, I actually like her. I kind of believe her. He had her come in, do everything with the house. And she said, you need to leave. There's a vortex. There's an entity. And he kept saying there was no reliable people as he kept this revolving door of investigators mm-hmm. and paranormal experts come in. He's like, nobody will help us. Technically, you had somebody you could have called back right. and asked for additional help from or asked her in her connection in her community if she knew anybody else. So that almost right. to me is like at this point, this new house obsession has become an obsession. And it's now you the thing that's feeding you because he loses his job. He doesn't have anything else really going for him, but the house. Right. And on top of that, there was the offhanded comment that happened like super early, like right before he left the house by Mr. Winters, who said, well, I can order a priest and we can mm-hmm. get it blessed. And he was like, no, 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 it's fine. Don't do it. I will, we'll keep living. So technically he had help offered to him, but yeah. he kind of just ignores that. And then they have all the, like they always had church women there every weekend. Mm. They had all of the people from the NPR coming through. So I don't know. I feel like, playing the other side of it like there was a little bit of attention wanting like wanting more and connecting more with the house and understanding more why the, these paranormal things were happening instead of actually solving it i think he wasn't getting the answers that he wanted from yeah like betty and some of the other psychics that came in he wasn't getting this clear cut this is the answer that i want this is exactly what it is and blah and you know blah 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 so he just kept searching but i agree i agree with you in the sense of he was offered help and had like he leaned into what to me seemed like the most uh accurate or most convincing of the uh of the psychics that came in being betty had he leaned in and actually worked with them maybe he would have been able to get something or maybe if he had taken up mr winter's uh, offer for a priest maybe then he could have gotten in front of it a little bit more but i think back when he was talking to mr winters about it he was still opposed to the idea of even doing an investigation at all so Uh, so when he did finally lean into the investigation it was almost like a little too late for him at this point he was searching for a very specific answer and he was never going to get it so i will say push back on one point because i largely agree with you guys (laughs) uh but i will push back on the single point that i don't think accepting the blessing from mr winters would have helped anything (laughs) taking the book at face value he was clearly an agent of satan or or something yeah or something like i'm i'm i I mean and granted when they did get a blessing uh the priest like screwed it up they the, the priest was scared to go in the rooms was mm-hmm. bar- was barely moving just tossing holy water on stairs and calling it a day yeah which yeah. I- <laughs> true <laughs> yeah I, I agree that this may have been more of an issue of uh prioritizing quantity over quality when it came to the paranormal investigators and Honestly, uh, I was very frustrated that they wouldn't just listen to Betty, especially Mm -hmm. at one point they begin doing their own research and they uncover like what Nick was talking about earlier, that the house was built on land that had been owned by a slave owner who may have been 
dabbling in dark practices and was suspected of uh, killing some of his slaves for fun. And the house was built on top of the slave quarters. Uh, Betty's Betty's description of the old man spirit that she found upstairs to me feels like it actually kind of aligns with descriptions we got of the man of the slave owner Cromwell and nobody else really none of the other investigators that came through the house really mentioned Cromwell uh so basically Betty's story was the only one that lined up with actual historical facts as far as I can tell Mm -hmm. And again, I think her assessment was corrective. It's like there's not much you can do here. You need to just leave because. Well, especially if it's a th- if it's like that vortex thin spot, whatever you want to yeah. call it, like there's. You can't I mean, cleanse that. Right, it's just there's, open. There's, yeah. As far as I know, mind you, it's limited in terms of magical practice. Uh, Semi limited in terms of magical practice. I I know of no way to close any kind of thin spot. Yeah. I, I don't know of anybody that can do that kind of thing because that's... I don't think that that's a thing you can do. Uh, exactly. I don't um, think that's a thing what, you can do. Have I've, we considered cleansing it with flame? And I say that knowing <laughs> it's a terrible idea. I Well, another source that I... That I actually the episode of a haunting that had a woman who claimed to be Betty on it. I will say that this woman claimed to be Betty. And according to that source, vortexes are natural phenomenon that originate from deep within the earth, which is why she was like, you need to just leave if it's basically a hot spring or a geyser that shoots ghosts instead of water. (laughs) You are living on an ectoplasm volcano. What is wrong with you? Basically. So it's like, yeah, you can't I can understand Betty kind of going like, you can't cleanse this. You need to just go. And it's like, well, that's not well, what we want to hear. Well, and also that's the thing is she's the only one who gave them actionable advice. Right. Yeah, like, exactly. A- everyone else was, you know, we'll come back to you. And then they never do. But it wasn't how to fix it. it but even, but that's the thing is I don't think this was a fixable problem. No. I, yeah. I think no. this was a forever problem. Yeah. So you said this is semi unrelated, but because I, I I took the time to look it up, I want to bring this up. So you said the last time you knew you could find anything on the house was 2012. Yeah, it's because it was sold in 2012. Oh, yeah, it was oh. bought, it was bought by an LLC who I looked up the name of the owner. I won't say their name, but it's not anybody with the last name Winters. Damn. But yeah, there's that. That's why. Weird. Yeah. Oh, the plot thickens. Now we have a company to dig into and some executives to docs. I already pulled up all their information and have their articles of incorporation and all that crap if we really wanted to dig in. Oh God, we need, now we need a whole side side show to this where it's just Rory going over financials and and mortgage information. I don't, I don't want to do that. I, I want to make you do it. I want to chain you to the desk down here. No, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> nobody changes. Rory. Nobody chains Rory to a desk but me. Mm. Oh, I'm gonna leave now. <laughs> but the doors said, are locked. Avert your eyes. Avert your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> where we're going, we don't need eyes to see. <laughs> okay, that's ominous. And you live in the garage for a week. This is my house. And yet I'm making you live in the garage. Also, it's from Event Horizon. It's a great movie. You should watch it. And we have watched oh. it. I don't think has Jay watched it? No. Oh, that's that's got, that's got to be correct. It's, I've never seen Event like, Horizon. It's Lovecraftian sci-fi. It's Someone great. needs to do that tonight. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's, a good movie. that's like a must-watch. Yeah, it's 
It's great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do we answer the question? I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Things deteriorate further because of course they fucking do. Alex, a member of Steven's team, begins visibly losing his mind. Yeah. He begins to obsess over the house, even as entities begin groping and molesting him every time he shows up. But he liked it. Yeah, that we have to make that clear. It he explicitly it. stated he, he liked, liked it. it. Yeah. Uh. After being told he is not allowed to perform a gray magic bloodletting ceremony in There's the nothing. house's basement. There was nothing gray about that <laughs> ritual that he wanted to perform. He wanted to attach demons to himself. It was straight black magic. Because I'm going to go bleed down there and attach demons to me, and then I'll just leave with them, and it will no longer be a problem. And so Stephen <laughs> said, let me consider it. No. And you're not <laughs> yeah. allowed in the house again. Uh after after Stephen tells him he is not allowed in the house anymore because of aforementioned black magic, he uh, is eventually institutionalized. Kelly March has begun cutting herself and is hearing voices urging her towards violence. Helen begins fantasizing about killing her husband. At night, the hooded figure comes into her room and sexually assaults her. Almost every night, she calls Stephen, pleading for help as the house tortures her. Helen's personality begins to fragment. Sometimes she speaks in a strange voice, cursing and snarling. She accuses her husband of cheating on her. A priest trying to bless the house is driven out in terror. Members of Stephen's team are all having nightmares and declining mental health. Helen begins to grow ill and twitchy every time she encounters crucifixes and images of Jesus. One priest concludes that both she and Stephen are likely being diabolically oppressed. Finally, things come to yet another head. Helen, convinced Charlie is cheating on her, meets him on his lunch break and attacks him with a knife. He flees from her, narrowly avoiding being stabbed to death. When Stephen comes to collect her and bring her to the hospital for psychiatric care, he finds Kelly and her friends on the lawn where they snarl at him like dogs and try to keep Helen in the house. Which leads us to question four. What role do you think mental health plays in hauntings? And how do we negotiate our belief in the paranormal with our belief in psychiatry? Oof. That's a good oh, that's question. Rough. I, uh, I'm real <laughs> mad that I didn't have these questions in advance now, Jay. <laughs> I'm a grad student. I'm busy. Yeah, that's fair. Well. Don't shake your head at me. I'm also incredibly lazy and disorganized. That's the other part of this equation. <laughs> Answer the question, Sasquatch. Um, okay. So, uh, it's a difficult question. I think... I think for me, okay, yes, I think mental health absolutely needs to play a factor because that's one of the first things you need to eliminate to figure out if you're actually dealing with something inexplicable. Um, but beyond that, I think it might also be a factor in other ways. Like it, it could be possible that someone who is already mentally unbalanced is more likely to uh, be influenced by these entities or be open to that kind of influence. Uh, there's evidence to support that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, similarly, I could very easily see if there was a truly malicious entity uh, using someone's pre-existing delusions against them and things like that. And I think it, it can definitely exacerbate mental illness. Um I think that the paranormal and psychology are much more intimately related than we really know right now. Uh, and part of that comes from, again, something we've talked about on the show, my, the 
idea that uh, reality is a construct of consciousness and that everything, you know, the world we see around us is ultimately an illusion that our brains are creating for us because it's blocking out 90% of the information it's taking in uh, to kind of present you this cut down version of reality that you can manage. Um, And for that reason, I think that the paranormal and psychology may be intimately tied. Uh, Similarly, I think quantum physics might factor in there somewhere, though God knows I don't understand it. Um, But beyond that, I think that, again, even if that is not true, if the consciousness theory is not true, I think they're still tied together in that you have to you have to be able to eliminate uh, eliminate or mitigate for mental illness when you're trying to make a value judgment of did so, is this real or not, which is, of course, you know, that value judgment we all have to make with the paranormal every single time we engage with it even a little bit. Yeah, no, I a thousand percent agree. I think I think psychology and paranormal things just go hand in hand. And I feel I feel for Helen and her part of the story. And I just wish that earlier on that, you know, she would have maybe started seeing someone to kind of deal with that side of her mental health, because even if say, say these things were fictional and these things weren't really happening, at least she had someone to start her journey with her to begin to deal with those things. But if these things are happening and she is sensitive to all of this, someone can document this and some and a therapist can be like, okay, there's something else outside of what I am able to handle and help you with that. We need to start looking for outside help because a therapist can like, you know, not just help you with what is going on in your brain, but they can, a good therapist will help you with all of the other things in your life as well. Absolutely. Shout out to my therapist for doing that for me. Yeah. (laughs) No, I, I agree. I agree. I think that they go hand in hand with each other in more ways than we understand currently. And I think that's shown if we like just even just looking at the books that we've covered on the show when it comes to hauntings, being Demon of Brownsville Road, Haunting of Alma Fielding, and now this one, mental health has played a huge part in all of them. And, yeah. and, and all of these, in all of the books and all of the stories, it's been something. And that's because no matter how you slice it, dealing with a haunting, dealing with the paranormal, unwillingly or even willingly is traumatic in its own way. Yeah. You know, because you're dealing with something that you cannot understand or you like maybe, you know, yes, we cannot understand it. And the idea of that, maybe the idea behind maybe our, you know, we're, our brains are filtering out 90% of the reality. Um, and we're only seeing what we can understand. Look at, um, things, uh, uh look at, like the past when people had never seen a ship before they had no way to describe the ship that they were seeing on, uh, right, the, on the, the horizon. Are you talking the native scouts? Yeah. Thing? The, the, yeah. 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 Um, so I, I, I absolutely think that that is like, that it plays a big part. And I wish that Stephen Lachance and Helen both had understood that earlier on because maybe had they been helping their emotional or had they been, um, trying to heal their emotional self while dealing with this, maybe it would have had less of an effect on Helen. It wouldn't have made her so open to um, influence by the, by the entity and the phenomenon in general. Yeah. 
I, I definitely think there's probably some truth to that. Yeah, I think anybody um, who deals with the paranormal willingly or willingly or if they don't, they absolutely should see a therapist. And I feel bad for mine because I'm diving so headfirst into this and he was not prepared for this. <laughs> oh, no. yeah, yeah, although I will say this, I, I have a suspicion that everyone deals with the paranormal in, in ways every day, but we just don't recognize it or notice it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So... Everyone in that way, everyone needs therapy, which again, I mean, I agree with that too. Yeah, therapy can help anyone. I, I, yes. I, there's nothing wrong with going to see a good therapist if for no other reason than you want to vent your life away for a little bit because it's nice to have somebody who is not directly a part of your everyday life who you can yell and scream at and they can think about it from a rational outside perspective. Go see a therapist, oh, yeah. people. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I I'm largely in agreement and with with kind of the, the consensus that you guys have reached that. And I, I said it back during our Brownsville Road episode that I view demons as being like viruses and they go where they can spread. And that tends to be in within the hearts and minds of people who are already vulnerable to harmful thoughts and behavior patterns mm -hmm. and also while i was reading particularly about this stage of helen's encounter with the with the phenomenon i was thinking about repression mm -hmm. and the ways that that can come out sometimes in poltergeist activity and the one thing that everyone in this book seemed to agree with about Helen is that she's very sweet and she's very mild and she doesn't really get angry and she doesn't mm -hmm. really express strong emotions. And then this literal homicidal rage starts coming out of her in these weird blackouts that she starts having. And part of me is wondering, it's like, did did Helen have just a tight little ball of anger that lived at the bottom of her soul that was already starting to manifest in some illnesses that she wasn't expressing? Like, had she possibly been battling depression for years and just never told her husband or her children because it, she was embarrassed? Look at look at the history that they did tell us of her. OK, yeah. so mm -hmm. she was uh, she she was a, a young mother. That then became the neighborhood mom. Yep. Who got remarried into, you know, got remarried, had, you know, adult children, but still remained the neighborhood mom slash eventually the neighborhood grandma. And here's the thing. I had a uh, like a neighborhood mom. I lived in their house yeah. and uh, there was a zero percent chance she would ever have shown emotion that wasn't positive because she had to reinforce that positivity because nobody else was doing it for us. Right. Nobody else was was showing that side and being that supportive. So if she's trying to fulfill that role, that motherly figure inside everybody, she's repressing all of those emotions. So, yeah, when you start getting stressed out and attacked by a demon like this, I'm not surprised that eventually that what the demon entity fed on was all of that negativity, all of that stress, all of that built up trauma and emotion and brought that to the forefront of Helen's personality or, you know, or, or brought it to the forefront of who Helen was becoming. Yeah. Okay. So. I'm going to wedge a tinfoil hat on right now because yeah. I, I, I have a quote which 
I, I want to connect to something else. Just oh, Let me read this quote first. You see, we all have a door. For most people, this door is safely locked and never opened. For those whose doors do open, they will find that doors can be closed, but never again will they be securely locked. Yes, once unlocked, they may as well be swinging doors. This is the way it is for those of us who battle the dark side, who are engaged in spiritual warfare. And remember, that's exactly what it is, spiritual warfare. And I, I want to compare that to uh, this period in the book, because one of the things that we found out about Stephen here was that he was starting to feel very drained, like something was kind of leeching his life force. So he was very sick for a couple of days. Um, and so that whole idea of doors kind of got me thinking, what if the point of like the paranormal experience of them popping out and scaring you, manifesting as a killer clown is to force that door open to make you like a feedable Op t target in the sense that once that door is open, it can leech off your emotional energies and live and mm -hmm. sustain itself off that. And once that door is open, you are forever a snack pack to the other world, which is why you will experience more. So the, I mean, the idea goes, is the supernatural I, forces that door. Yeah. I mean, that goes with what Jay was saying about like, you know, demons being viruses and stuff like that. Well, viruses, mm -hmm. in order to live, eat, breathe, they have to feed on their host. Right. So that goes hand in hand with what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Can I, I also want to quote something that is semi related, but it, uh, it's a really short quote. And it is what I, I, I think personally, the thing that Stephen Lachance got most wrong in this whole book. And the quote is. When a person is crazy, they don't realize they need help. And that is flatly not true. Yes. And that's all um, I yeah. want to say about that. I just, I wanted to, because that, it stuck out to me and I was just like, mm, no, I know I'm crazy. And, uh, yep. I, you know, I'm, I'm on medication for it. I know that, you know, I have, you know, depression and anxiety, whatever. But people, people understand that, you know, it's not like, you go off the deep end and you don't know you're going off the deep end. You just can't, you can't pull yourself back. Yeah. You know, even if people don't even like know exactly what it is, people know that like, Hey, something's wrong with me. I am mm -hmm. off kilter, but I just can't pinpoint what it is yeah. and why I am. Exactly. And right. I, since we were semi on the topic, I wanted to bring that up because I actually made a note of it. You made a note. I did. You wrote actual words? Yeah, see, it says right here, it says not true. <laughs> <laughs> Two whole words. Both monosyllabic, but we're getting there. Hey. Hey. hey I wrote a nine-page summary for this show, okay? Was that castration venom? It sure was. <laughs> uh, well, we write so much. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, and um, Helen, Helen knew there was something wrong with her. Yeah. That's why she mm -hmm. kept calling Stephen at two in the goddamn morning. Mm -hmm. um, can I say something very mean and unfair? Probably. I mean, you do every episode. Oh, cool. I want to know what it is. I don't want to know. <laughs> uh, hey, Helen, if your husband is cheating on you, have you ever considered that maybe it's because you keep calling this strange man that used to live <laughs> in your house at two in the morning and yes, sit there yes, sobbing yes. to him right? until daybreak? Right? Right? I know. I know. Uh, I, oh, I, for sure I really thought, thought they were they, having an affair. Yes, so did yes. I. Yes, and I was having flashbacks to all the fielding about yeah. like, why can we have one ghost investigation where people who are married to other people aren't fucking? Can we have I, one? I'm sorry, the prospect of the supernatural is just too erotic. 
<laughs> How? How is anything happening in this house, erotic? Well, why don't you, know? you ask Alex? Actually, why don't you ask right? Helen later yeah. on? Uh, okay. Uh. Actually, so, and actually, uh, can we please talk about Charlie? I don't know if there'll be a, a fifth discussion. Oh, yes, we'll let us talk, talk about, about Charlie. But that was a fascinating character in my book because basically, Helen's uh, husband Charlie was yes. ghost was oh, ghost, yeah. ghost agnostic. He was like, yes. yeah, those yes. ghosts are there, but I'm not going to bother them and they're not going to bother me. And the thing yes. that blew my mind was up until right around the end of the haunting, you know, right around when Helen tried to kill him, it worked. Yeah. He, they ghosts yep. seemed to completely ignore him. He would, there, he, there was this guy going to work, coming home, eating dinner, going to bed, having a completely normal life, running on a parallel track to Helen becoming possessed. I, uh. Charlie believes in John Keel very strongly, even if he didn't uh, didn't acknowledge it. Fuck yeah, not he by not acknowledging the phenomenon, he was able to avoid the phenomenon. Oh, yes. Char- Charlie, Charlie is an incredible person to me. Right. And I mean incredible and like just what you said, that he just became this stone wall of unflappability. <laughs> and I just have this picture of him like standing in the kitchen drinking his morning coffee and like the furniture is spinning six inches off the ground <laughs> all around him. And he just is refusing to look at it. He like closes his eyes as he just shuffles out of the door and eventually the spirits are like okay we are no longer bothering with Mr. March we're doubling down on the girl and we're doubling down on the wife uh but what are we going to do to traumatize him? We're going to make the wife stab him. <laughs> yes. But I, like his his dodging skills are like a subpar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because that whole scene in the car where she's like, I'm going to get you. And she's like stabbing at his crotch. She's stabbing at his hand. She's stabbing at his chest. And he is like dip, dodge, dodge, dodge. <laughs> like in the most phenomenal way. Like this man is just unflappable yeah. no matter what. And um. His belief system just reminds me of like um, like Appalachian people and like all the weirdness that happens through those mountains. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them down there believe like if you don't talk to it, if you don't look at it, if you pretend that it is not there, it is not there. Mm-hmm. And that is Charlie's whole. Like, yeah. Is he from there? Like, he, is he from that area? He, he puts blinders on <laughs> and just walks through life. He's like, I got to put bread on the table. And that's the only thing that matters. The the only thing I know about Charlie's cultural background, and again, take this with a grain of salt because they admit that they mess with the story on the episode of Haunting. Um, they they had a man who claimed to be Charlie and the man that we call Charlie in this book because Stephen Lachance changed the names. And he he was African-American and he said that his belief system of just ignore it, just don't interact with it because that makes it stronger. He said that that was passed down through his mother's family. Mm -hmm. Is that like his mother Mm -hmm. and his grandmother and that whole family line were very firm about like these things exist and they are none of your business. Mm -hmm. Even if it is in your house, it is none of your business. And the only thing you can do is pretend you don't see it. And I've heard a lot of. Uh, people that have like a very similar mentality to that. I don't necessarily know where that stems from, but I have heard that. It's like, yeah, no, I believe in ghosts and I believe in spirits, but you just got to ignore them. And I'm sitting here like, but I don't want to. And, and part of me <laughs> wonders if that's maybe an element or like a facet of Helen's rage that starts coming out is the fact that he's not being tormented. And <clears throat> and also at times he seems very dismissive of what's happening to her. 
And I can see why after a while she'd start to feel like ignored and blamed by him of he's like, just just ignore it and it'll go away. And she ends up sitting there going like, you can ignore it because it doesn't care about you. It doesn't want you. It's trying to eat my soul. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, at one point he does see something and he acknowledges it but at the same time he's still like okay i acknowledge that it's there but we as a collective should also just leave it alone mm-hmm. like and she's like no well you see it now so now it makes me even angrier that you see it but you don't care enough about it so that means i guess in turn she might have felt he doesn't care enough about her yeah i'm sure that and i'm sure there was a almost a actually i know for that there was definitely some projection of of that from her onto Charlie throughout the story and and maybe maybe it's a a fault on both parties you know maybe he should have because she was so avid about this happening that he should have participated a little bit more but at the same time it's like well that's going against his own belief structure so you know what do you do in that scenario it seems like it's almost a lose-lose you know because we have no we have no evidence that him getting involved would have made things better. We have significant evidence it would have made things worse. Right. Yeah. Plus she had Steven there who was her Superman knight in shining armor who was Mm -hmm. coming through no matter what, answering every single phone call, coming over, running over there, all of the things. Like even people said that he saved her life like at the end, you know? And so she had this other man swooping in anyway. So what no matter what Charlie did, it probably wouldn't have been enough anyway. Right. Yeah. And I'm honestly surprised that uh, Stephen's presence didn't piss Charlie off more, uh, him being around as much and as often. I mean, it seemed like the way that he implied it in the book, at least, it was like that Stephen was spending days at that yeah. house, you know? Yeah. Well, and so I, I also got to point something out. This is, this is mostly coming, you know, from the writer sensibility in me. Um, so Charlie, after the near stabbing, vanishes from the story, as was mentioned earlier, right? And then we have this scene at the end of the book, and we don't see Charlie ever again, but we have this scene with uh, Steve and Helen in one of the last chapters on page 229, um, where it's just talking about a common interaction they'd have. And when someone else would come and go, she would look at me and say, hey, you're still here. My response was always the same. Of course I am. I promised. Yep. And I, as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, cute. That's nice and romantic. Wait a second, but yeah, uh, and and that's the thing is that narratologically, it's totally built like these two are in a romance. Mm -hmm. It just never pulls the trigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was the. I mean, did you get that feeling? I know you you, you've written plenty of stories. I mean, it just definitely felt like they were building up for those two to to kiss at the end of the book. Well, even the way he mentions her, like when he introduces her, like like he says, and then that's how I met Helen. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, here comes another love interest. Like, that's, that's exactly how I saw her. Yep. And even like the whole ending scenes of him, like picking her up from the hospital. Like, why wasn't her husband picking her up from the hospital right. or her kids? She had adult kids to right. do this. Also, why were her kids always calling him as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 The, yeah. There's the whole part with her daughter. Uh, towards the end of the book where, you know, the daughter would, or he called, he called the daughter immediately. Like they were all on first name friendly basis. And it's like, I get it. You know, family friend. Sure. Uh, my family, had, we have plenty of family friends. You know who doesn't call me though? My dad's friends. Right. You know? <laughs> yep. <laughs> that would, God, that'd be awkward. Right. 
if some strange woman started calling you and was like trying to talk to you about your dad, you'd be like, who are you? Right. Go, go away. (laughs) I would just, I would immediately go tattle to your stepmom just for the drama. (laughs) I would just be like, time to throw a live grenade into my in-laws marriage, you know, to make Christmas less boring. I'm about that energy. (laughs) Amy, you did say you're a gremlin, so I kind of figured. (laughs) Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. I think we've accused Stephen Lachance and Helen March of adultery enough for this particular moment in time. Yeah, we'll see. Um, so uh, moving on to the last part of our summary, home stretch for us and for our merry band of haunting survivors. Helen is institutionalized. Duh. Like Alex before her. Uh, Charlie takes Kelly and they move leaving the screaming house and this story behind them. When Helen is released, she and Steven stay in contact and she moves in with one of her adult daughters. But her departure from the house doesn't break its hold on her. She still slips into other voices, still speaks cruelly and harshly with no warning, sometimes spitting threats. Steven drops her off at her home late one night and sees shadow figures rising from the ground around her as she snarls at him. Her family feels as if something alien has taken her over. One night, after a rough day at church, Helen disappears. She turns up on Stephen's porch with a gun, pounding on the door, demanding he let her in. When he refuses enough times, she leaves, returning to the Union Screaming House. On the phone with Stephen, she threatens to shoot herself or go inside to hang herself in the basement, saying that she'd rather just let the motherfucker have her. Quote, desperate to save his friend, Stephen stays on the line, talking her down. When he feels like he's broken through the fog of demonic influence, she breaks down, admitting she's been having blackouts for nearly a year. Helen does not, for some unfathomable reason, return to the hospital or get an exorcism. Instead, she remains in outpatient care, supplemented with trips to a priest named Father Paul. Months and months of work seem to slowly break Helen from whatever's controlling her. Her suicidal urges and homicidal rage gradually evaporate. With no climactic expulsion of ectoplasm, the events peter out. Ties to the Union House are cut. Someone else moves in. Mm-hmm. So, question five. Here's an easy one. Do you believe any of that? Oh, boy. Gestures to the <laughs> entire story. It's, it's, <sighs> Okay, I, I, I'll I'll just go ahead with my uh, assess my statement that I started to make at the beginning. Yes, please. Um, okay, so I think that you know I think like many of the paranormal books we've read, there's definitely embellishments, definitely embellishments. Uh, for example, at the end of chapter eight, uh, talks about them driving away from the house to go get ice cream or something like that after one of the incidents, and there's this line where it says something to the effect of. Little did I know, I couldn't possibly know that behind me as we drove away, the lights of my house were turning on one by one. And I'm sitting there like, if you couldn't possibly know, how do you know to write this? And that's what I mean is small signs like that tell me there is definitely a dramatic voice at play here who is playing things up. Uh, And we brought up the foreshadowing, which ends just about every single chapter, um, which did get real annoying. Yeah, I, I don't need a cliffhanger every three pages, Mr. Lachance. Yeah, because chapters are very short. Um, 
And I will say this, of all the things in here, and we've talked about maybe the haunting was exaggerated. I think there's an argument to be made that maybe part of the reason there's so many illogical inconsistencies around her family's behavior is that maybe Stephen wasn't actually involved in all the scenes that he put himself in, in the sense of maybe Charlie did pick her up from the hospital. Stephen, for the purposes of the book, swapped him out for Charlie. Yeah, I could see something like that having happened, uh, but... 100% 100% and I want to I'll give it a hard 90%. I am 90% sure Mr. Winters is a complete fiction. Yes. Please I, tell me more about that. So yes. Mr. Winters, the evil landlord, it, the, the problem I have with him is that when you look at the totality of what we learn about him over the course of the book, it does not sound like a real person. Uh, it, so it's an elderly man who apparently has some sort of wealth. He, looks like Gollum in a wig and lipstick. Uh, He's a shriveled man with a a wig sliding around on his bald cap with bright red lips. Um, He is not punctual. He's late to every meeting he goes to. Is super dodgy about everything. Is Uh, terrified of the house, but insists there's nothing wrong with it. Exactly. And then there's this implication at the end of the book that he keeps renting the place out to to families with children, specifically to sort of feed... uh, the demon i have a quote here and this is uh this quote sold to me the unreality of mr winters the new children are having fun running around upstairs and screaming as children do when they're having fun but i bet the parents will stop that soon when they finish moving in and get unpacked when the kids got there they immediately ran up the stairs as little tykes do they began running in and out of the room screaming and laughing with joy it was nice to hear little angels screaming. I hope their guardian angels will watch over them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it is a straight up C movie villain dialogue, uh, villain monologue. And he he brings his his psychic friend Linda, who he checked out from. Oh a my mental god! I love it. Yeah, yeah, the, the one associate of his we know about is some woman he brought from a mental hospital. Like it, it just it. it the character. I I will say this: Could Mister Winters exist? Sure, I doubt it. And another reason I doubt it is uh, the haunting episode that you brought up. Um, they don't bring up Mister Winters, and the landlord is a woman in that. Yes. Um, uh. <laughs> and it also. Uh, so, if you go digging around on Stephen Lachance's personal uh, websites and his Facebook groups and everything, you can find a copy of the report that the Roman Catholic Church did on the house, because apparently at one point he did get the church involved uh, because apparently at one point this didn't make it into the book. Apparently, at one point he did want the house exercised. And that so much so more important. Oh, my God. Why wasn't that good? Yeah, right? That's kind of an important detail <laughs> but, that the church did a full report oh on the house. Yeah, and, but the, the first re- the, the the full report also references a landlady, not a landlord. It says, yeah, it it, it calls it. It says, yeah, it's it says landlady every time they bring up the person actually running the house. Mr. Winters is present nowhere in this very long and extremely bizarre report that I read well, from the Catholic Church. And I'll say this uh, two more reasons. I don't believe Mr. Winters exists. 
Um, number one is that he fits the story too well. And what I mean by that is he is a great human antagonist to give a face to the otherwise kind of faceless <laughs> evil that's going on around here. And the other reason is, and this is much more shoddy because it's based on my research. Um, I try to look into uh, Union, the, the town of Union a little bit and try to look up any kind of uh, resident logs or anything like that. I could not find anything except for an obituary from a 47 seven-year-old man who had the last name Winters who died in uh, 2012, I believe, or 2010. Now, the fact is, uh, well, that might be Mr. Winters. Uh, Mr. Winters definitely was described as much older than he would have been if he was 47 when he died. He would have been, what, uh, 42, which Mr. Winters was described in the book as much older than that. So I... I, I think if Mr. Winters is real, he might be a hyper exaggeration of the landlady. I don't know if I believe that there is someone out there feeding families with children to a demonic house, because quite <laughs> frankly, also, if that was his goal, he kind of sucked at it. They all got away every single as soon as someone every wa- one of them. Well, and as soon as someone wanted out, he was like, yep, no problem. I'll sign this. and I'll, You'll move out just fine. And I, you wouldn't do that. If your goal was to trap them there so the demon could eat you. My personal headcanon is Linda is a previous resident from the house. And he was like, oh, yeah, completely shattered her mind. She lives in long term mental health care now. And I'm her, I got power of attorney. And sometimes I just bring her back to the house and be like, is it still evil? Is it still fucked up? And every time she's like, yes, dude, yes. Is, is the only way i make friends <laughs> although yeah, although i will say you know what i imagine the entire time this is a complete aside the entire time i was trying to picture mr winters and all i could picture was the the old man from the six flags commercial wearing a wig and yes. like doing the dance <laughs> that's, oh, yeah. that's his only form of locomotion <laughs> he just dances everywhere he goes yeah <laughs> Uh, I also want to know why Mr. Winters always just seemed to have a gust of wind that was just ready to just <laughs> knock his little wig off every time right. he came somewhere. Yeah. It, it was <laughs> like, just too perfect. <laughs> it's too perfect. I don't know. I While I was reading this book, the main thought that I had the entire time was like, you know what? I don't say this often, but this would probably make a better movie, granted, a C or B horror movie mm. than a book. Like, that's how it kind of reads, like more of a fictional happening, because there was just so much thrown at you. And like, I know we didn't cover it, but there was that one time when they were trying to cleanse the house. And they had people stationed at different places and the church oh, ladies yeah. were outside yeah. and they ran away and they claimed that a voodoo priestess was yeah, yeah. chasing after them. I was like, hold yeah. on, hold on. Wait a minute. Where, when yes. did a voodoo priestess come through the vortex? Yes. <laughs> the photo of the burning yes. crucifixion that a voodoo priestess was leading all of the lost souls <laughs> and some sort of funky chant of evil you know know the thing is i can't i have tried to look as i I try to look around online i cannot find that picture or any of the pictures that were you know said they they took in this that that particular one was so vivid it was so just like descriptive and i'm sorry there a lot of times like whenever someone says they have like paranormal evidence and like photos of something it's blurry it's grainy or it's questionable at best it's Mm -hmm. not clear cut oh that's a burning cross with some voodoo people in there <laughs> yeah yeah no i i when it this book 
this book, I think, uh, challenges my um, wanting to believe in every, you know these kind of stories. And I think the reason for that is because this story was almost too good to be true in terms of the amount of actions or the amount of things that happened. But the one thing that I think makes it harder for me now, what I will say is, do I think that Stephen Lachance had paranormal activity at that house? Yes, I do. I think there was paranormal activity at that house. I, I don't disagree. Do I think that it was in any way like how he wrote in the book? I don't know. I don't think it was this dramatic um, by, by any means. And the reason for that is that the perception that he tried to write is that this was like a single entity, but then there was no lines that seemed to connect from the entity from one action to the next. Right. Okay. It, it, it all seemed very random, all the ver- events that happened. Right. The only, um, the only action that seemed direct and even like overly powerful and demonic is also one that I don't necessarily know is true. And that is the, the dream that the one, the one uh, member of his group had. And then she had a miscarriage. Right. Uh, she, oh, yeah. yeah. She had a she had a dream. Uh, her 19 her year old daughter was pregnant. Yeah, that's what she, it was. Yeah. yeah. She this woman, Marie, who I believe was a member of Steven's team for a while. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And she had a nightmare where she was saw a demonic clown smashing a baby to death while holding it by its ankles. And then the same night that she had the dream, uh, her daughter had a miscarriage. Right. And like, yeah, and Stephen was talking about like, I don't know if the demon did that or it just sensed that that was going to happen and it made her look at that to fuck with her. Right. And that, well, one being like the most vivid scene that kind of fucked with me. Yeah, that was, that was a, a legit good horror scene. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. It, it was. And uh, but like that. I don't know. I, 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 I fall like literally on the fence. Like part of me is like, I want that to have been supernatural just because it's so traumatic the way that it happened right and they were she was so involved in this house and it almost makes sense that when you open your mind to that kind of stuff that you're going to start getting negative or positive reactions in one form or another be it visions seeing things whatever but the other side of me is like this fits the now departure of this group too well. You know, it's like it all lined up too well and it all happened so quickly. And it makes me, it makes me very sus for everything that like that, that, that came before and after stories like that, because it doesn't, it, it, it seemed out of left field, but also was realistic in how like other stories that I've read, but also it's like, I don't know, man, I don't know. I'll say this, it did remind me a little bit of a little bit sloppier written John Keel in yeah. the sense of I think he did something similar where there was a lot of truths and fictions kind of blended together. I think um, if I had to pick a portion of the book that I thought was probably the most real, it was his him and his family's experiences. Yeah. Yes. And one thing I want yeah, to point out. That. It, yeah, I agree with that. Is we're talking about the randomness of the events, right? The events didn't become consistent with the hooded figure and the dog until Helen moved in. Helen. Right. Um, and 
I there's that's a part a of me point. that does wonder if you know because that's the point where we start to get narrative consistency is once it's Helen's story, especially when it comes to the behavior of the entities. So what my I wonder sometimes if what if he had that experience in the Union House and then he invented a story about the next person that might take that house. Maybe Helen wasn't real. Um, now that said, I don't, don't not sure that that's completely true because I haven't watched the haunting episode, so she might be interviewed in there. Um, but even that doesn't mean anything. Of right. It's like they could. It's an. It's entirely possible that that was an actress they hired to play Helen in the interview parts. And and here's the thing. And I hate to be. I hate to do this. And I hate to be this person. But one thing that I always have to look at when it comes to these stories is how much did the author benefit from this story, right? Stephen Lachance has written multiple books now. He's very involved in the paranormal community, right? But he's written multiple books about this, like about the union haunting and other ones. And while I'm not saying that he's a fraud because of it, I'm just, it, it makes me sus that, this is the first story that he used to break out into the field, to break out into the field. And it's kind of all over the place, you know? Yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I, I could see that. And that again, like I don't also, I don't, oh, oh, sorry. Before I want to uh, bring up something, Helen and him absolutely did not have a relationship because he is gay. Really? That's what? Yeah. I just looked it up. He is married to a man. God, no wonder his wife left. Yeah. Right? I yeah. am maybe I was, was that, that why she left? And why she's so I angry to I leave? I don't know. I don't know, but it's in his blog and he talks about it a lot. I am baffled. Yeah. This my, is the biggest plot twist I, in the entire Oh my god. Hey, yeah. what if he's bisexual? Oh, he could be, except he says he's a gay man. Uh, so I mean he can't just like just he had, but okay, but keep in mind he grew up in the seventies and eighties where being gay was super frowned upon still. Well and it seemed like he he really wanted kids, but I mean right. I mean that he every time he talked about his dreams for the future it was always around fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Maybe it, that was just something he wanted completely separate from the relationship that caused it. Now that said, I that does make me wonder if there was a more nuanced situation at hand regarding his divorce mm-hmm. rather than his mm-hmm. wife just being a psychopath. Right. Um especially because apparently the sequel to this book, I don't I haven't read it, but I read a couple reviews of it and yeah, what I could tell good. it's about 60% about him complaining about his wife. Yeah, that's what uh, I gathered too. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was kind of sick of that at one point. Like, I know it was hard, the decision that she made and the way that he portrayed her and painted her. But I, at one point I was like, can, can you just leave her, the woman alone? She left you. She's out of your life. There should be no more thought of this. Right. Like, like I, I get it's traumatic. And but at some point you still have to move on and don't do that in your writing. Do that in therapy. Yes. I will mention that the first time that I watched the episode of A Haunting that was about this show, that was about this this incident, I kind of went, okay. And when I rewatched it again uh, several months ago, I, uh, I I queued up the episode and these guys were in the room when I did it. And I was like, ah, yes, this shit that definitely didn't happen. I said that <laughs> out loud verbatim. This shit that definitely didn't happen. And... Uh, 
in, in addition to the, the to Mr. Winters being an unnamed landlady who makes a very brief and unremarkable appearance in that episode, Helen's murder spree is not a factor at all in that episode. Uh, it's just like, why did Helen go to the mental hospital? Oh, she was threatening to kill herself. And Stephen came and rescued her from the house and brought her to the mental hospital. And Which, to be fair is true yes but they <laughs> left out the tried to kill the husband tried to wanted to kill steven first bits i, I think yeah, there's but- a solid chance that all that stuff didn't happen it just made a good ending point for the book that's true yeah sure Cause, yeah because you need that big climactic end point well and that you know that's it's something that i wanted to bring up to you specifically and you too Nate. actually all three mm. of you because you're all writers <laughs> um This book felt very much like it was set up from somebody who had taken a creative writing 101 class. He did go on to publish a book of short stories and a novel. So that just reinforces my point. I wasn't disagreeing with you. I was handing you something. It was a a surprise tool to help you later. I didn't know how to use it. (laughs) I'm not a writer. Oh, I'm a poet. So, which but, I guess is writing. Yeah, yeah, that, that is writing. I just so, write in rhyme. And, yeah, and I'm it's, gonna, it's. I'm going to beat you till you only speak in rhyme. You sure you want that? No, that'd be terrible. <laughs> oh that'd be so, terrifying. So yeah, I have I have some doubts about Mister Lachance's stories and uh, the the inconsistencies there within because uh seriously watching the episode of a haunting and comparing it to the book is fascinating because very little of it is the same yeah that kind of just reinforces my on the fenceness about this story and i think that's where i'm going to end up sitting for a long time about this one is i'm just did the union screaming house happen i don't know Maybe. <laughs> I, Maybe. I agree with Naomi and Nick definitely that it's like, and I think you said the same thing, Rory, that it's like if anything in this book happened, it's probably the portion with just Steven and his kids. And most of what happened to Helen rings much less believable to yeah. me. Uh, it's too fantastical. Sorry. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, the uh, honestly, the cli- the uh, last night in the house for Steven and his family was my favorite scene in the book. I felt like it was the proper climax. Yeah. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. running through the house, trying to get your kids. The doors are opening and slamming all around you. The house is screaming. And even that didn't feel that far fetched to me because I've read other stories that were very similar to that. Like, yeah, that, yeah. that's very poltergeisty. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. A thousand percent. Like I'm like not to get into my personal life, but I'm pretty sure that I have a ghost that lives in my house. I've named him Gary. Dope. <laughs> and Hi, Gary. Gary, does, he likes to leave lights on every now and then really randomly. I'll come home and throw a light on that was not on before or things being knocked over. And I tell him to stop it or I'll stage him out of this house and he leaves <laughs> it alone. And so the the whole running bit, I do agree that with Nick that like that felt real, like mm-hmm. poltergeist will do that. They turn lights off, they slam doors and all of that. My issues with are like the blaringly obvious plot holes, the not yeah. tying things together, mm-hmm. the over fantasizing about stuff like like half of his like team at one point quits that mm-hmm. were like the original core group. And he never covers why they left and why they were angry with him and why like right. well, that bothers me. Yeah, he just, <laughs> yeah, he just says, oh, they were they had some hang ups with me. It's like, well, what the fuck were well, they? Uh, and I, wa- also, I want to know. <laughs> well, and also later, like he made it sound like after Alex left, everyone else just broke off and the group was no more. It crumbled. And yet, like 
20 chapters later, suddenly he has a team of 20 people. And I was yeah. saying, where did these people come from? Who are they? <laughs> they, you know, came, he, he has, they came from the portal under Mr. Winter's wing. <laughs> he seems to do something like where he rushes through aspects of the story. Uh, he does that multiple times throughout the book, like with uh, almost like at the end when he kind of rushes through the whole bits about Helen, he's rushing through the bits about how the group fell apart. And it's like, bro, I need to know this yeah. stuff. Well, and the Helen one was especially egregious because most of the book was about her case and her possession. And then right. it's and then she spent two years having therapy and going to see Father Paul and she was all better at the end. Right. And yeah, it's right? Like, this is this is the part of the story where I need to know where it's like, I want to know exactly what happened. And you're telling me that it ends with them just leaving the house going to therapy talking to a priest and then moving on so you're saying this fucking thing is still there and it's yes. right <laughs> and it's so weird to me that steven fought so hard for helen and everyone else that moved into that house he went fuck you right right, right. so right? he got he, he got all right so the whole scene earlier where Kelly and her demon-possessed friends <laughs> try to stop Steve from taking Helen out of the house. Oh and, and, and he panics, and he takes Helen out of the house and drives off and just leaves the demon-possessed children there. Yeah. Like, yeah, right? like, those little monsters are fine. In completely unrelated news, seven residents of Union, Missouri were viciously murdered. By, <laughs> by vaping children of the corn. Yes. Yeah. Oh, God, you know, Vaping children of the corn. That's the title of the episode. Yeah, yeah and you just know they're there because you can see the cornfield every now and then just one plume from a sick rip goes yes. drifting yeah. up and above the stalks. Every time it comes up from the stalks, it's a couple feet closer to your house. <laughs> is that, is that I, cotton candy? <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Vaping uh, children of the corn. I love it. All right. So, um... Nick has prepared an about the author for us, which I'm sure is going to be wild. And I would love to hear it. Um, I'm going to be over here meditating on what other things might be under Mr. Winter's wig. So <laughs> I, I as uh, some as our listeners know at home, I try my best to uh, do as much research as I can through Google on who our authors are, not just the uh, book jacket. So this is what we got. Uh, Stephen Lachance is a Missouri-based radio host and producer who hosts the Haunted Survivor Radio online radio program, which I interpreted as a podcast. That's what it sounds like. Uh, his story has been featured on the Discovery Channel's A Haunting, as well as the Booth Brothers documentaries, The Possessed, as well as one more. Uh, he has also appeared on several news affiliates, The Travel Channel, Chiller, Destination America, and he has also appeared in a documentary that was supposedly released in the Season 5 DVD Extra of Supernatural. Now, that said, I need to uh, point out that, that uh, Jay and I went on a magical quest trying to find this thing and we loaded <laughs> up. We, we actually got we actually got out the old box set and we put it in and there is no DVD extras that we could find that involve uh, Mr. Lachance. That's it. Just bloopers. It may exist. Uh, the closest we can find to this, this supposed documentary other than the occasional mentions of it in interviews with him or on his website is that he uh, worked on the show Supernatural and him and others were interviewed about their haunting experiences for a documentary made by the CW for Supernatural. I wonder if that was that ghost hunters ghost facers. Yeah, the ghost. That, 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 that's what my thought was because yeah. he was interviewed in 2010, I believe. 
And that, that's when this said it happened, and that's when that show launched. Yeah. So my guess is maybe he appears in like an in-world documentary that's yeah. in that show. That's what I'm. That's what I was. But, th- I was uh, thinking too, because the only other extra that was on that box set was like some uh, uh, apocalypse survival guide. That yeah, I, I looked to, that up. It's like a. It's like a weird game. Yeah, that's what I was reading about it. So yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, he's also done voiceover work for Wendy's and Shoney's commercials. Okay. Nope. Uh, that's uh, random. He formed <laughs> yeah. the. Missouri Paranormal Research Society, which he left in 2007. Uh, during his time there, he's credited with bringing attention to some lesser-known hauntings, which are common stops among paranormal teams now. This includes the Union House, Zombie Road, the Pythian Castle, Enoch's Knob, the Tri-County Truck Stop, and the Morse Mill Hotel. Oh. Um, after writing The Uninvited, he went on to write some fiction, uh, a short story collection called Crazy in 2010, and he also wrote the aforementioned sequel to Uninvited. In 2016, he released Prayer for the Dead, which is a full novel version of the sto- one of the stories from Crazy. And in 2017, he released Confrontations with Evil, which is probably his most successful book so far. Uh, it is his research into the 1949 St. Louis exorcism mm-hmm. case that would go on to inspire the movie The Exorcist. Yeah, the Roland Doe. Yeah. Which, um, fun fact, the that exorcism uh, allegedly took place in the same hospital where Helen stayed during yeah. her institutionalization. Yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, the book would go on to be featured in the New York Post and the Sun. Uh, the book also won the St. Louis Go Magazine's Best Book of 2018 Ward and was later developed into two different documentaries for the Discovery Plus streaming platform. Uh, and in, and here's the last two kind of fun bits. In an undated interview on HauntedAmericaTours.com, he said he thinks that paranormal investigators need to broaden their horizon and begin researching other phenomena such as UFOs to find the connections between them and ghosts and demons. He also advocates for the paranormal community to stop bickering among itself and to try and form a more more cohesive community to enable them to actually work towards the truth. So he's right about the paranormal community bit. However, has he never heard of Passport to Magonia? Yeah, like that's he's (laughs) he's treading on well-walked ground. Yeah, like Uh, John Keel, Jacques Vallée. Yeah, like the hell hell your folks, like literally all of them. That's literally all they do. High strangeness exists and that is what this is. (laughs) Uh, And he also said if he can investigate alongside any one person alive or dead he'd want to do an investigation with ed warren oh 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 bad choice <laughs> yeah that's an interesting decision yeah uh, so and I'll, yeah, I, did say why? <laughs> I also want to point out so that's the end of what i have about him but there is technically a co-author on this book that we have not mentioned because there's not much to mention i didn't uh, know there was a co-author laura long helbig uh and i looked into her as much as i can in the book all we learn is that she's a missouri-based english instructor uh i did a little digging and i found that uh, well one this is the only published book to her name um i found her old twitter which has hasn't been active since the 2020 election and before that seemed to be just dedicated to bashing Trump, which was fun to read through. Cool. Uh, That's cool, lady. uh, And she formerly taught at the St. Louis Community College, the College of Florissant Valley, Maryville University, Lindenwood University, and the Mineral Area College in Val's Mines, Missouri. Uh, According to their current catalog, she is now retired. Mm. Um, And also, uh, for the last several years that she was working there, she was no longer listed as an English instructor, but the director of the learning center so uh congratulations she got a promotion at some point cool uh and that's all we know about her that's all i could find that was a fair Uh, bit those are our authors and uh naomi i don't know exactly why he'd want to hunt alongside ed warren but 
in a couple of interviews that Nick and I uh, glimpsed while we were trying to find his elusive, possibly fictional documentary, he did uh, he did compare his family's experience to what happened to the Lutzes in Amityville. And I'm sitting oh, here God. going, you mean you lied? <laughs> because that's what the Lutzes did in Amityville. All I'm saying... I, I'm not going to lie, but him saying that he wanted, would want to do an investigation with Ed Warren and then comparing his experience to Amityville makes me lean more towards this. What didn't happen. <laughs> that I, that, le- that makes me lean all the way into that. Like, I mean, and I with with you, with Nick saying that he like has a really great, successful book that came out. All that says to me is that he got better at world building and character building. Right. Like that's right. all that says to me, because yeah. that's what he didn't do in this book. Correct. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least with the other book, it was about about the Roland Doe, so you can actually compare that to other researchers and see what the, that difference. But still, it that definitely puts a, a heavy weight and, and in the fraud category for me because Ed Warren is a, Ed Warren is a known fraud at this point. And the other thing that adds credence to the uh, fraud side of the argument is that unlike a lot of the previous books we've read, I can't find a single mention of any other member of his family outside of that episode of a haunting talking about this. Yeah. Uh no like where earlier with Demon of Brownsville Road and Bob Kramer and his family, we had direct quotes from his family members still sticking to the story and supporting it years later. And I can't mm-hmm. find any evidence that that's the case here. That said, I, I think it's totally possible that someone in, in Mr. Lachance's position, if this story was true, would want to keep his kids away from the press or from anyone who would bring up these traumatic times. But that said, I also can't find any real word from Helen or Charlie. And I feel like Charlie would have some words to say. Yeah. Also, also if this house is being consistently rented out uh, multiple times a year to different families who then depart frequently uh, due to what's going on in the house, uh, don't you think at least one of those other families would have spoken up at some point? Right. Or at least him go back and interview them something. You right. Know? Yeah. Right. Uh, to be fair, I did uh, find an anonymous Reddit user who claims to have lived in the house and said that it is only haunted by a man and a young child who are Indian, not Native American, Indian. Hmm. I think that was Stephen Lachance. Uh, I don't know. I'm just saying <laughs> that is one anonymous Reddit user. Or maybe it's Mr. Winters. I'll take that with a grain of salt. I'm going to take it with a block Definitely of salt. Definitely Mr. Whole Winters. Whole ass salt lick. <laughs> yeah. I. Uh, so do we have any other closing thoughts on this book? Yeah, I think I'm leaning fraud. I don't believe it. I. I, here's the thing. I will leave the door open to it being true because I I prefer to do that with everything because, again, I wasn't there. I yeah. can't for sure say that that person's a liar and I won't call them a liar. That said, I heavily suspect there is some uh, some some fraud going on. Not fraud. That's technically legal term. Hoaxing going on here. Sorry, I can't help <laughs> it. I work in that. I, I work with fraud. I mean, so do I. That's why I, I'm careful around the word because alarm bells go off when I say it. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that there's something fishy in these waters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's not Mr. Winter's wig. The more that I think about it, the more that I kind of I'm like, he's kind of like a like a the baby of um Mary Poppins and Mr. Magoo. Uh, <laughs> oh God, yeah, yeah. I can see that. And I like him more and more. I kind of wish he was real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Turns out Mr. Winters is actually the real hero 
hero of the story. Somehow he's the good guy. Uh, no, he's a victim. He's been possessed by a demonic wig that makes his face. Maybe like, that's what it is. It's it. the demonic it. wig. A thousand percent. That's what it is. There, there is a horror franchise called Evil Toupee. It's great. Stop it. It's terrible, but it's great. Mr. Winters made it. No thanks. <laughs> um, so, do we want to move into housekeeping? Ah, uh, I think we probably should. Yeah, otherwise, so, I'm going to start talking about the wig again. All right. So, before we get into our own, uh, Naomi, where can people find Morbid Forest? Um, we are available everywhere. So our main platform is anchor.fm. You can find us on Spotify, on Apple, on Google Play, on uh, Overcast, everywhere. You can find us everywhere where podcasts are available. Excellent. <laughs> I can't wait for season two. <laughs> and, uh, and do you have any social medias that are, that our listeners can follow you on? Yeah, we are on Instagram. Uh, it's just the Morbid Forest. Uh, we have a Patreon. We just started doing merch on Redbubble. Um, where else? I think that's everything. We want to start Twitter and Facebook eventually. It's a lot of things. I work full time, so it's uh, hard yeah. to manage. Absolutely. And yeah, and Sean's home most of the time. So between us, we're trying to get all the things rolling. <laughs> but Instagram is where we're most active on. Um, ah, yeah. Found you. Followed. <laughs> we're there. Yeah, right. I just started an Instagram for us, which is Noctivigant underscore podcast. Uh, so anybody who likes Instagram can follow us there. There'll be a lot of uh, pictures of Noctivigant pets. And probably books. And probably books eventually. I don't know. Uh, but also we have a Twitter at Noctivigant pod. Yeah, at Noctivigant pod. And then I'm on Twitter as well at, at Mix Rory Wicks. I'm at Bearish Terror. I'm at Midwest Undead. I also run a Tumblr blog for our podcast called Noctivigant Podcast. I do nothing but post memes. I'll be posting some interesting ones about Mr. Winters. <laughs> uh, Send them my way. Send them to me. <laughs> and listeners at home, if you're wondering what's coming up next, we have a pretty fun book, Flying Saucers Over the White House, the inside story of Captain Edward J. Ruppelt and his official U.S. Air Force investigation into UFOs by Colin Bennett. Yeah, I'm excited about this one just because I'm fascinated by this story, which is why I picked a UFO book. Book, which is out of the Weird. ordinary for me. Yeah, it, it threw me off. I'm yeah, not gonna I, lie. I, I suspected you weren't going to get to this to this story for a while, and I wanted to read about it. No, I, I wasn't. <laughs> I was uh, going a completely different direction, which we'll see after this next episode. Yep, yep. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I want to thank everyone for listening today. Thank you, Naomi, for joining us. Uh, listeners at Thanks home. Thanks for having me. Yes. <laughs> go listen to The Morbid Forest. It's a lot of fun. Uh, lead us out of here, Jay. Uh, good night, my ghosties. Good night, my ghoulies. Good night, my moth people. Be careful out there on those midnight roads. Stay safe out there. And avoid Mr. Winters.
Mr. Winters whispers to me at night that it was all real. It was all a dream. Fantastical inception. 